Well, today is World Marriage Day. It comes around every year on the second Sunday of February, very close to Valentine's Day. And it was originally uh, set up for Valentine's Day, and it was originally called back in the early 80s, it was called the I Believe in Marriage Day, which actually I prefer that, uh, that title. Um, and uh, in light of the widespread cultural phenomenon of, of people not marrying uh, or becoming very cynical and pessimistic about the possibility of happiness in marriage or a, a lifelong marriage, uh, this is an important day. It's an important thing to talk about. So uh, one of the things that uh, sort of a theme, I think, connecting all of my homily together will be the idea of the heart. And if you look at the, uh, the icon or the logo for World Marriage Day, now I'm going to demonstrate my artistic prowess. Okay, here I copied, uh, I copied this off the internet here. Um, we don't have a color printer, so I had to draw it here because I wanted to get the red heart popping out of there. So if you look at the logo here, you've got the heart. Okay, you got the heart joining the, the husband and the wife. And of course, for Valentine's Day, the idea of the heart, the theme of the heart is very prominent. And uh, also, if we listen to our opening prayer as well, it says, O oh God, who teach us that you abide in hearts that are just and true. And uh, fidelity in the sacrament uh, and in the institution of marriage has to do with justice and truth in the biblical sense means fidelity. So God dwells in hearts that are just and true. That's really at the basis of, uh, of the beauty of marriage. And then finally we have in our gospel another reference to the heart. And this is a little ominous, a little much of a warning. Christ says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In his heart. So let's kind of have that idea of the heart in our minds as we journey through uh, this homily. And I'll begin with that passage from the gospel, uh, looking at it in terms of a, a warning. Okay. Um, very much so we need to be mindful that Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is taking the Old Testament law and he's revealing for us its true inner spirit. So he's saying that the external behavior is important, but even more important than external behavior is the wellsprings from which that behavior flows, the wellsprings of the heart. It's the heart that is the seat of our moral life, of our spiritual life, and that's what God is really concerned about. In the Old Testament, it says God does not look upon uh, uh, others, uh, human beings as man does, but he sees into the heart. And so the status of the heart is what really matters. Um, there is, uh, I think, this passage here about looking at a woman with lusts and that being equivalent to adultery in the heart is probably more prevalent today than at any other time in human history because of the widespread phenomenon, uh, because of our technological advances, in relation to the Internet, specifically. Now, because maybe there's young people here, I'm going to be very discreet in my language. Essentially, we probably understand what I'm talking about here. You have uh, uh, indecent images being projected across the Internet in a, in a very, very prevalent and easy manner, and it's having widespread effects socially, um, and a broad scale, but also interpersonally, and it's affecting marriages and families. And uh, if you ask 
um, a lot of uh, some men, you know, who who might be engaged in this activity of, of viewing indecent images through the internet. You say, is this is this adultery against your wife? No, 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 no. It's not real. It's just fantasy. Ask the majority of Christian women if this is a violation of the marriage bond. They'll say, yeah, it certainly is. Guess what? The ladies are right. Okay, they've got Jesus on their side here. Okay, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying this is adultery, even if it's just in the heart and it doesn't go out into the external world. It is still adultery. And um, you know, it's good, I think, uh, to reflect upon certain certain trends that have already been very well established sociologically in the past twenty years. Uh, a lot of research has been done in this area. Um, in this area, and uh, it's it's very well established that men who are engaged in this activity, this online activity, are over three, who engage in a pretty regular basis are over three times more likely to be separated uh, or divorced from their wives than those who never do this. So uh, it's probably not a direct causation, but there's certainly some kind of indirect causal nexus going on here. And there's been a there was a, a very widespread survey done, thousands and thousands of divorce lawyers across the United States, and 56 percent. So from what the lawyers say, 56 percent of divorce cases uh, cite this activity on the part of the husband, usually sometimes the wife, but usually it's the husband, uh, as a contributing factor to the divorce. So adultery leading to uh, divorce is a very real phenomenon, and it's become now an issue of uh, the internal imaginations and affections and desires of the of the spouse. Uh, this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to uh, fidelity, not just in the external behavior of the body, but fidelity in terms of the heart, the emotions, the imaginations, the desires. And uh, so if we can take Jesus' teaching here in the Gospel and kind of frame it in a positive way, okay, and hopefully I'll, I'll end this, this homily in a positive sense, if you can frame it in a positive way, what Jesus is saying is something very beautiful. He's saying that the marriage covenant is uh, a mutual giving of the spouses to one another in the totality of their person, not just in the external behavior, but also in the depths of their heart. That when you give yourself to your spouse, you're doing it with the body, but you're also doing it with the heart, which is what really matters. It's a very, very deep thing. So the imaginations and the desires and the affections and all of that, that's what you're giving over to the other spouse. It's a very beautiful exchange. Um, it's good. I, I would say, you know, many marriage counselors, they ask, uh, they ask the question to, their, to the couple that comes in and they say, so can you uh, recall for me your marriage vows? And usually the couple just looks like, you know, deer in the headlights. Uh, it's a pretty important vow you made, and you don't remember what you said? So, um, you know, in religious houses, both male and female religious houses, uh, monasteries and convents and whatnot, it's a common practice for uh, the religious to recite every day the vows that they took when they, uh, before God when they became uh, religious. And I would recommend that for a married couple as well, that it would be good to take your marriage vows and to actually memorize them, commit them to heart, commit them to heart. When you do that practice of memorization, you be, it's a process of internalization, and you begin to appreciate uh, and internalize in a deep way what it is that you're committed to. 
So it's a good practice to do that. There are many different forms. I think there's a handful, really, of different forms of the wedding vows. Um, one goes like this. So this is probably the most famous one because you see it on the movies, all right? Especially the old 50, 1950s movies. Okay, hypothetical couple, Michael and Sally. I, Michael, take thee, Sally, as my lawful wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And uh, what's really remarkable about um, that line, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, is that actually, again, in more well-established sociological studies, at least amongst Americans, when they look at people's happiness, health, and wealth, they see that there is that marriage is very beneficial for all three of those uh, those areas. So, for better, for worse, we can think of that in terms of good fortune or happiness. And uh, those who self-describe themselves as very happy with their life, um, from those who have never been married, it's 22% can say that. For those who have been divorced, it's 19% that can say that. And for the married, it's 40%. Now, on the one hand, it's kind of sad that only 40% of the people can say I'm very happy with life. But relatively speaking, it's, it's uh, considerably higher, twice as higher um, than the other two categories of people. What about health? This is a very interesting um, uh, reality as well. Um, in terms of the age brackets of people between 36 and 50, people who have never been married are 75% more likely to be in poor health than the married. And uh, people who are divorced are 90% more likely to be in poor health than the married. So marriage is, is the benchmark of, of health, at least in that age bracket, and it has very beneficial um, uh, consequences in that regards. Finally, wealth. This is the big one. This is really interesting. Continuously married individuals accumulate approximately four times the wealth uh, of those who have never been married or those who have been divorced. Very interesting. Four times. Um, that's, that's pretty significant. Now, the final aspect of that vow um, says, until death do us part. Let me leave you with a story here that I think really sums up uh, the beauty of marriage and the, and the love uh, that a spouses are to have for one another. And it goes back to the heart. You know, if you go back to the heart, the heart is the seat of life. And we are to actually give the totality of our life to one another, even unto death, in, in the marriage vow. So we go back to a, a story um, based on a real-life event here, um, the Titanic, the sinking of the Titanic in 1912. April 14, 1912, the Titanic went down in the Atlantic Ocean and hit an iceberg. And uh, there was a couple, uh, two couples I'm going to re recall, Lucian and Eloise Smith. Uh, they're both from kind of highbrow sort of backgrounds and families. So most people in the Titanic were, actually. Um, uh, Lucian was the heir of a very wealthy mining family, and Eloise was the daughter of a congressman. And uh, they had met in January of that year, of 1912. They had kind of whirlwind romance. They married just a month later. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but anyways, they did that. They married only a month later, and they went on a big tour of Europe because they had the money to do it. So anyways, they went on this big tour of Europe. Eloise gets pregnant, and so they say, well, let's go back. Uh, We've got to you know, cut short our trip. So they get on the Titanic, and they're going back. Well, it's announced uh, that uh, the Titanic has hit um, uh, an iceberg, and it's going down. It's going to sink. Now, the problem was that there were something like 2,600 people on the Titanic, but the lifeboats could only hold a total of something like 1,700. So the word went out 
um, women and children first, and then the men on the lifeboats. So it was very common for couples to get to a lifeboat and only the wife could get on, and then the husband stayed behind. Uh, it was only 18% of the men made it, whereas like something like 70% of the, w- the women and the children made it. Um, so in a very, I think, heroic fashion here, you got Lucian, he, he quietly wakes up his wife, he says, dress very warmly, he knows what's going on, she's not totally aware of it. Dress very warmly, she wants to take her jewels with her, he says, don't worry about those trifles, this is a direct quote, because she survived to tell the story. Don't worry about those trifles. And uh, she sits down, he doesn't, she says, what's going on, protests, and he insists, and he says, now at that time, back in the day, I think the wife made the promise of obedience to her husband in the, in the marriage ceremony. So he says to her, now I never thought that I'd actually have to ask you to live up to that part of the marriage contract, but I'm, I'm going to do so right now. You need to stay there. Sit down, and I'm, I'll see you later. I'll get another boat or whatever. He kind of just sort of dismissed it. Last words he says to her is, make sure you keep your hands in your pockets. It's very cold weather. Okay, so we see uh, a very heroic fashion, a man dying for his wife and for his child. She goes back to the States and gives birth to uh, Lucian Jr. and and lives to tell the story. Now, here's another story here. This one kind of highlights the heroism of the the wife. Isidore and Ida Strauss, okay, another kind of uh, wealthy couple. Uh, They're in their 60s, and uh, they're uh, grandparents. They've got seven kids and many grandchildren. And uh, Isidore had been a congressman from New York, and also he was part owner of Macy's uh, in New York City. So again, these people had a lot of money. Um, they were traveling with their maid. Uh, the maid's name was Ellen. Okay, So uh, both Isidore and Ida arrive at the boat, and they're told that only uh, Ida can, can sit down. Isidore can't. He's got to remain on the Titanic. And uh, Ida says, this is a direct quote from the, the witnesses that were present there, I will not be separated from my husband. As we have lived, so we will die together. Ida took off, she's again, wealthy lady, she had the fur jacket on, so she took off her fur coat, gave it to the maid, and she says, here, I won't be needing this. And the, they, <clears throat> they were last seen arm in arm on the, the top deck of the Titanic as it sunk into the icy waters. So I just think those two stories are a nice, beautiful example of what Christ is calling us to, the fidelity from the depths of the heart, the ability to actually give your entire life to another person. Um, now, in the, in the back on the table where the gifts are, you'll find pamphlets after church. Just nice, these, it says, 30 Days of Meditation on Marriage and Family with Pope Francis. Uh, they went like hotcakes last night in... Um, Lions, so I don't know if there's a whole ton left, but please take one as you leave.